Please rise for the reading of God's word. (laughs) Don't sit down. Okay. Daniel 9, verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seven years, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake. O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. 
Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is God's word. What is the purpose of prayer? Many of us see prayer as a lifeline to God. Prayer is the means of getting help from God or getting God to give us what we need. Yet Jesus said the Father knows what we need before we even ask. So why does God want us to pray? See, prayer is more than making requests. And so this has led to the teaching of the acts of prayer. A, for adoration of God and his character. C, for confession of our sins. T, for thanking God for what he has done. And S, is supplication. That's when we make our requests to God. Praying the acts of prayer certainly makes our prayers much deeper than simply a list. But they don't answer the question, why does God want us to pray? Daniel's prayer gives us the answer. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, draw us to yourself, draw us into your inner throne room, to sense you, to know you, and to have our prayers transformed, our understanding of prayer aligned with yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God wants us to pray because prayer brings us into union with him. God wants us to pray Because in our prayers, we come closer and closer to God so that we become one with him. Don't stop me if you've heard this before. God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they have been living in a loving and mutually glorifying relationship from eternity past. They have what we might call the perfect divine party. They are completely fulfilled and find ultimate joy in their relationship. So they need nothing else and they need no one else. And that leads to the question, so then why did they create? God created out of an overflow of love. He created so others so we could experience what he has always experienced in that divine party. And we experience that by becoming one with him, entering into that eternal relationship. He has created us to experience the perfect joy of his divine party. And so in that relationship, We are to receive God's love. We are to receive the glory he bestows on us. 
And in turn, we love him and we glorify him. Prayer is critical in drawing us deeper into this relationship where we become one with God. Daniel was in union with God. And this union is woven throughout our prayer this morning. Like the Lord's Prayer, Daniel's prayer includes adoration, confession, and supplication. And so we're going to look at these three features of his prayer to show how each one reflects his union with God. So we begin with adoration. Daniel was united with God in his focus on God and on his adoration in his prayer. Our chapter opens with Daniel's realization that the Jewish people could soon return to Judah from their captivity in Babylon, that Israel could soon return from the nations back to Jerusalem. Verse 2, in the first year of Darius' reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Century before, God made a covenant with his chosen people, offering blessing if they walked faithfully with him, but warning them of discipline if they walked away from them and served other gods. Generation after generation, the Israelites turned away from God and turned to other gods. They tested him until God gave a final warning through the prophets, predicting that Jerusalem would be destroyed and they would be taken to Babylon. But along with the warning, Jeremiah wrote of their restoration, the very words that Daniel was reading. Jeremiah 29.10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Daniel had been exiled for nearly 70 years. He saw that God's promise of restoration was about to be fulfilled. But instead of celebrating... Daniel fasted and covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. Why? Because his heart was with God's heart. He was as grieved as God was over the sins of Israel that brought this judgment. And he understood that for Israel to be restored, they had to acknowledge their sin and ask for forgiveness. Even though Daniel was faithful to God in everything, he prayed on behalf of Israel as though their sins were his own. He agonized over their rebellion and cried out for God's forgiveness. And we see his union with God in his prayer that they were grounded in God's word, in God's covenant, that his thoughts were God's thoughts, 
His heart felt God's heartbeat over Israel's sin. And his will was fully engaged with God's desires and God's glory. For Daniel, prayer was about pursuing God. Verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. Daniel sought God. When we turn our face to someone, we're giving them our full, undivided attention so that we might hear everything they're saying, understand what they're feeling, and acknowledging what they need. Daniel turned his face to God. He sought God in his prayer. That's what it's about. And in his pleas for mercy. When a deckhand throws a line to a dock, they don't plan on pulling the dock to themselves. They're going to pull the boat to the dock. They don't pull the dock to themselves. They pull themselves to the dock. Prayer is about pulling ourselves to God. It's not about pulling God to us. And we see this in Daniel's adoration. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel's adoration was not random. He targeted the very attributes of God, which were critical in having his prayer answered. The attributes that Daniel highlighted are precisely the ones that were necessary for God to hear his pleas for mercy. He called God great and awesome because it was out of God's greatness and awesomeness that he disciplined his people and sent them into exile. But it is also out of God's greatness and awesomeness that he could bring them home. Knowing he was going to ask for mercy, Daniel pointed to the truths about God which would persuade God to show mercy. God faithfully keeps his covenant, a covenant that includes forgiveness and mercy. He's a God of love, and his love is steadfast and unchanging, not dependent on our righteousness. If God were not a great God, a merciful God, and a God who is faithful in keeping his covenant, Daniel wouldn't have been able to have confidence in his prayer. He wouldn't have prayed the way he did. His prayer would have looked more like those of the prophets of Baal who carried on and abused themselves to get their gods to answer their prayers. Daniel didn't need to carry on because he knew the character of God. He could trust it. 
We see Daniel's union with God in his adoration. We also see it in his confession of sin. Daniel says, I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession. Daniel noted every dimension of their sin. No stone was left unturned. He used a full dictionary of words to describe Israel's sins. Verses 5 and 6. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name. And this was just the beginning of the detailing of their sins. He also spoke of their treachery, rebellion, transgression, iniquity, wickedness, citing their turning aside and their refusal to obey God. It would be a good exercise for all of us to look at each one of those words and what it says about Israel's sin and what it says about our sin. Do we understand the depth of it? Daniel did. Frederick Tatford summarized, Daniel sought to express by every possible word the enormity of the guilt of himself and his people. Confession of sin is more than listing them. True confession sees our sins as God sees them as thoroughly as Daniel sought theirs. Daniel could see sin as God sees it because he knew God in the fullest sense of the word. Like Isaiah, when he beheld the holiness of God, who, who immediately confessed his sins and cried out, I am ruined. Daniel beheld the righteousness of God, confessed Israel's sins, and cried out, we are shamed. Verse 14. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works that he has done. And we've not obeyed his voice. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. The reason we and our culture doesn't understand the depths of our sinfulness and shame is that we haven't grasped the magnitude of God's holiness and righteousness. When our prayers flow from the hallowed character of God, we see him rightly. We see ourselves rightly, and we pray rightly. And we're on our way to union with God. Daniel's adoration, confession, and his supplication each demonstrate his union with God. His supplication was for God to restore Israel and to glorify God. There was nothing selfish in his prayer. He was very old. And he was not going to be among those who would return to Jerusalem. His prayer was based on his love for God and the people God loved. His longing was that Israel be healed and restored. And this longing mirrored God's love for his people. And it reflected God's merciful character. Verse 9, to the Lord belongs mercy and forgiveness. His prayer was infused with the sense that 
God merciful, forgiving. That's at the very essence of who he is. He knew God. And his prayer was driven by his desire for God's glory. He wanted God to be given the glory due his name. And he was concerned for God's reputation. See, when one nation defeated another, everyone believed that the victorious nation was more powerful, the, the gods of the victorious nation were more powerful and glorious than the gods of the defeated nation. So when Jerusalem was destroyed, the reputation of the one true God suffered. He was seen as weak and feckless because only a few people realized that Jerusalem's destruction was the result of God's loving discipline rather than God's defeat. Daniel was distressed over seeing God defamed. And so he prayed, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for our iniquities of our Father, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all those who were around us. Daniel wanted the world to see God as he truly is, to honor him as he deserves to be honored. And this would only happen when he brought his people back to Jerusalem. When we are in union with God... We are passionate about loving and glorifying God. And we see this in Daniel's prayer, verse 17. For your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. It's all about you, Lord. Restore to the sanctuary. The sanctuary was the holy of holies where God's glory had resided. As John Wolverd wrote, it was not simply the restoration of Israel which Daniel sought, nor the restoration of Jerusalem or even the temple, but specifically the sanctuary with its holy of holies. Daniel longed for God to be glorified by returning Israel to the holy of holies where they could meet with God, worship him, and come into union with him. Daniel concluded his prayer by once again aligning with God's righteous and merciful character while pleading for God to restore the city and people for his sake. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, Hear, O oh Lord, forgive, O oh Lord, pay attention and act, delay not for your own sake. O oh my God, because your city, your people are called by your name. It's about you, Lord, and it's for your glory that I pray. That's the heartbeat of someone who is in union with God. Has there ever been anyone more in union with God than Daniel? Yes, Jesus, the Son of God.
Daniel's union with God in his prayer foreshadowed God the Son's union with God the Father when he went to the cross. See, Daniel trusted God's plan of judgment and restoration for Israel. Jesus trusted God's plan of judgment and restoration for us when he prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Daniel didn't commit the sins that brought judgment on Israel, yet he prayed for their sins as though they were his own. Jesus didn't commit the sins that brought judgment on us, yet he paid for our sins as though they were his own. As Bishop Fulton Sheen wrote, the foul miasma of the world's sins rushed upon him like a flood, and Samson-like, he reached up and pulled the whole guilt of the world upon himself as if he was guilty. Daniel prayed for the relief, for relief from God's judgment. Jesus brought us relief from God's judgment by becoming sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made Christ, who had never sinned, become sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. Daniel saw God's righteousness in the judgment that they deserved. Jesus fulfilled God's righteousness by taking the judgment we deserve. As Romans 3.26 says, Christ's sacrifice was to show us God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier at the same time of the one who has faith in Jesus. And knowing God's reputation was tarnished, Daniel sought God's glory by asking God to display his mercy to the world. Jesus is the ultimate answer to that prayer. His death is the greatest display of God's mercy to the world, which brings the greatest glory to God. As Jesus prayed, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Like the chosen people in Daniel's day, we have sinned and deserve God's judgment. Like Daniel, we need to see the heights and depths and width and breadth of our sin. And we need to cry out for God's mercy and then find that mercy in the heights and depths and widths and breadths of God's love for us in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And when we do, we're restored to God and we begin our journey to be one with him, which is his greatest desire and it should be ours. Let's pray. Our Father, whew, 
I have seen prayer so wrongly in my life. Thank you for showing me. Thank you for showing us in Daniel's prayer the beauty and splendor of a prayer that is in complete union with you. Lead us, Lord, like you led Daniel. We will follow. In Jesus' name, amen.